I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here and we are on for our Be Awesome series with Dr. Christina Hallett. Christina, thank you so much for joining me yet again. As always, you know, Kristen, we love to have fun and I'm (laughs) super excited because I have yet another friend. Have you noticed I have a lot of friends? This is pretty cool, right? Yes, you do. You're like (laughs) me. I love it. (laughs) Exactly. We're just like, hey, who are more people we can meet? So today we have the pleasure of joining us is Stephanie McAuliffe. And Stephanie and I met, uh, we were both writing books, and Stephanie is the author of The Message in the Bottle, Finding Hope and Peace Amidst the Chaos of Living with an Alcoholic. So I thought Mm -hmm. this would be perfect for our Be Awesome podcast because we are all about different ways that we can address the struggles we've been through and come through on the other side to being awesome. Stephanie, I'm so glad to have you on the show. It's so good to be here. Thank you. And I always love where our conversations take us. So um, (laughs) magic may happen again today. I love the, the name of the book. My God, that's, that's awesome. That is, I mean, here I'm using, I'm not even meaning to, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's what we do. <laughs> wow. So finding hope and peace. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh. Yeah. Tell us all about it. This is my gift. The book is my gift to people who have struggled living around alcoholics and alcoholism, because this book is also for the person who has struggled with numbing their own pain as well. Because there's so many of us who have grown up around this. Over 50% of us have been affected by a loved one's alcohol dependency. And there are some books that are out there, but I haven't found a lot that have really asked the deep introspective questions that share story and also share how we come out on the other side. So this book is part of my hero's journey of coming through to Mm -hmm. the other side. You know, 
would you be willing to share some of what your story has been? Because I know that's a part of the book and really shaped some of your understanding. Oh, absolutely. So I am the fourth generation of women in my family who have grown up around alcoholism and or married alcoholics, of which I have both, and also numbed my own pain for a number of years. And we were a family that didn't talk about things. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I know a lot of people of that this generation that we were taught to just kind of suck it up and work through it. And, you know, it was that old English stiff upper lip. And that was the legacy of my family. And so those of us, when we have backgrounds like this, or even other things, we, we continue to replicate what it is that we grew up around. And so I learned to numb my pain from some of the adults that were around me, my grandmother especially. And she was married to an angry alcoholic for 32 years and dealt with those struggles as best she could because she didn't feel that she had really the option to leave or and where was she going to go? Because she couldn't go home. Right. And so the people I found myself attracted to had addictive personalities because the law uh-huh. of attraction. So often we, we attract in and we call in what it is that we, that we know, even though it's not what we want. Absolutely. So it, yeah. It's an interesting dynamic um, because whatever we're focusing on, even when we're focusing on what we don't want, that's still what we're calling in. That's what the universe hears. And so I'm married. Go ahead. I I was just going to say that's sort of the center of our perspective, right? I mean, we put so much into, it doesn't matter if it's, I want X or I don't want X either way. X is the thing that we're thinking about. (laughs) Yes. And so when I said, I will not marry an alcoholic, Well, that's exactly what I did twice, 10 years each. (laughs) I I lovingly refer to them as number one and number two, and they were some (laughs) of my greatest gifts. I I now see the signs and I've done a lot of healing work, but it's, they brought to me the exact lessons that I needed to learn when I needed to and was ready to learn them. That's the piece that I love to sort of get into people's heads because there's a lot out there about, there's a lot of um, victim shaming or just shame fingering at people for repeating patterns in their life. And I always think, okay, okay, okay. We're not saying that um, it isn't obvious that yes, this person is repeating a pattern, but it's just that that isn't necessarily a horrible, bad thing you're working out your issues as an adult with different people that you couldn't work out when you were a kid and you're going to work them out as you work them out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that may take one or two or three or whatever many relationships to get there. So I love how you, you know, how you state that. You know, we also talk about the onion or the unfolding rose. If you like the rose metaphor better than the onion, right. In that there's always more layers 
And so even repeating a pattern can be that you've learned one set of things and then there's still more sets of things before that pattern is sort of put to bed and shifted to another pattern. Yes. And and I refer to it as a spiral on a shell because we we continue to evolve out. And there's times where we might feel like, holy crap, am I here again? I thought I went through this. I thought I dealt with it. I thought I was done. But what it is, it's a deeper layer of the lesson that you couldn't have gotten to had you not done the first couple of pieces. And so this is where when I talk with my clients and I talk on stage, it's it's a process that we continue to evolve should we choose to go through these, these processes and learn. We'll continue to evolve until we die. And then I think we still evolve, but that's a separate conversation for a separate day. But that's such a good point because there's a choice. I love what you just said, Stephanie, that we can choose to keep evolving or we can choose to say, meh, no. Mm -hmm. Now, we may not be happy at the meh, no place, but there's an element of choice in that. How did you see that in your journey? The first thing that comes to mind when I was married to number one and I was seeing a therapist and I was dealing with some old family issues as well and just healing my own stuff. And I said to her, I know I need to deal with his drinking at some point, but I'm just not ready right now. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay. So I was acknowledging it. I knew it was something that was there, but we can't do everything all at once. Yeah. So we have to prioritize. You know, when I worked on Wall Street, not everything can be a number one priority all the time because then nothing gets done. So we have to pick our, what's the biggest thing that's really gnawing at us that we want to heal and clear. And then eventually I went back to dealing with, him and the drinking and the whole situation. That's such a good point. You know, uh, traditionally in psychotherapy, right? For those who are practitioners, we would work on treatment plans and, and people would start having like, seriously, 10, 12, 13 goals. And that was a standard. In fact, sort of the measure by like, did you write a good treatment plan was how many goals did you have? And then like super bonus points if they were also observable and measurable. And it wasn't until we began to get into the person-centered model that we started to realize you couldn't have 13 because nobody was doing that, that we couldn't put all of the focus and attention on 13 different things all at the same time, which is exactly the point that you're making. And I love that. Mm -hmm. We've got to really hone it down. Yeah, it reminds I, me. I of love that too. Oh, go ahead, Kristen. Sorry, I was just going to reiterate this for our listeners that are, we have a lot of mental health professionals that listen and we do a, a mental health business show. And I just want to reiterate what everything you all just said, because when I would go in and look at an electronic health record system for a um, helping an agency get on the right one, I would look at these treatment plans that were 8,000 choices (laughs) and I was like how in the world like that is not human to force that on someone sometimes it's just that you got up today you know so it's just it's 
I just wanted to put that out there. We we feel for you, all of you providers that are looking at these just insane treatment plans that you're supposed to fill out for every patient. <laughs> well, and it, it also makes you almost paralyzed sometimes with overwhelm because where, where you as a patient, where do you start? I can't do everything all at once. So, and, and I've been in that situation before. There's so much to do. I just, I didn't know where to start. And there's exactly. a book. Yeah. There's the book, the one thing that I love that it's like, you may have a list that is arm's length. What's the one most important thing to do today? And Kristen, as you said, sometimes it's just getting out of bed and that's okay. Absolutely. And that's, I think, where we often just without even, I think, consciously realizing it, we can get into this place of like, oh, but the shoulds, right? Either I should be doing more or you should be doing something else. And we miss the actual reality that we're doing the best that we can with what we have in that moment. And the best we can may be limited at certain points in time. In fact, for everyone, I would my contention is we all have periods in our life where doing the best that we can with what we have does not look sort of from the outside as if we're really setting the world on fire because we need yeah. those times. You know, I just... I just thought about this and I I don't think I've ever told this to our listeners. The reason why we have a shell in front of the word mental is exactly, um, you know, your description of, of the shell, Stephanie. Mm. Oh, I love that. that. There was purpose in putting that there because of the spiral and it, you know, just being a constant, you know, when friends, younger friends say, when am I just going to be like you and wake up and just know that I've got this? And I say, well, first of all, you're not like me in any way whatsoever, if you think that I know such things. And second of all, when you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Stephanie, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you really saw gifts throughout your experience. And I think that's such a key concept to be able to look at our experiences and see the gift in it amidst all the crap and the chaos and the challenges. That was three C's. What good alliteration. So I'm wondering if you like that. Right. This is a little moment of self-congratulation. Oh, I like that. The crap, the chaos. Okay. Uh, so no. little I know. I'm just, I'm on a monologue today. What can I tell you? So Stephanie, when you think about it, what do you see as some of those gifts that you got from your experiences? And key question, at the time they were occurring, did you see them as gifts? At the time, I will answer right now, no. For (laughs) any of them. I absolutely did not. Um, I'm further along in recognizing now when things are coming up. So now I do, but back then, no. And with number one, we had really, we were living separate lives under the same roof. There was very little connection anymore. And it was, I'd started to go to Al-Anon and 9-11 happened a month before our 10th anniversary, right before my 40th birthday. And Right after that, I found out I was losing my job beginning of the year. Mm. 
And I initiated the divorce anyway, because I, I had this feeling, I just can't live this way anymore. Life is too short. Because I, I worked across the, across the river from the World Trade Center. I looked at the wreckage on a daily basis. I worked across from the Trade Center for years. And I had gotten to a point where I started to find my voice. Because it was something that I felt like I lost when I was young. So going through this process with him... I started to find it a little bit and it was more of, of finally standing up for what it is that I wanted because I went through many, many years of conforming. And I think a lot of us do where, you know, we do what we think people want us to do for Mm -hmm. approval. Yeah. And so with him, um, it was really, you know, I'm turning 40, life is too short. And within the course of two months, our divorce was final, I lost my job and I moved. So I got the triple whammy. And, but I was free and I was out of the stress. And sometimes we don't realize how much stress we're living in until we're out of the situation. Now, there's one short little funny story with him. We had a, a, a five bedroom old 150 year old farmhouse. And we had 10 TVs in the house. 10? 10. Wow. And most of them were on all the time. For him, it was a distraction because when there's always noise around us, we don't have to think about what's going on. Right. And when I moved out, I took two of the TVs of which one of them got replaced. So that I'll just leave that out there for people to interpret any way that they would like. <laughs> but when I moved into the house that I rented, I didn't even call the cable company for at least a week. I lived in silence and it was Ooh. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I love was that. Was that the first time hard. that you'd lived alone? No. Um, I had lived in, in apartments after college. Um, so, no, but it was. Having lived with him for 10 years, the last few years of which were very stressful and chaotic and noisy, um, right. it was just the beginning of kind of unraveling like that shell again. It was right. just refining myself. And sometimes it, it's, I think of it more as like decompression. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's so interesting that you say that, Stephanie. Love this TV story because although Kristen, I'm thinking about what you just said, and you just made me realize that I've never actually lived alone, 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 because all the years that I was a single mom, I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. And right. every other time I like I had roommates or something else. So I wasn't necessarily in a relationship, but I wasn't alone in the house. So fast forward to today, and this is what you just made me think about. Every once in a while, my husband will go someplace, golf trip, whatever it is, or he went over to visit our son in Italy because our son's in the army. And when I'm home and he's not there, I never even turn the TV on. Or when I'm traveling to do speaking engagements, I never turn the TV on. And I love the silence. But when he's home, because 
he loves to have the TV on and he doesn't like to be all alone in the silence. So he likes to hear something. And mm -hmm. when I think about that moment when no one's home but me and some animals and there's no TV, I love that silence. It's, it's, it's glorious. It is. It's a rich sound in the absence of sound. Yeah. Does it, that even make it, sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a little bit of a spin on that where my house growing up was um, like a tomb that you were expected to have absolute silence. If you were too loud at all, you were shushed and told to be quiet and all that kind of stuff. So I constantly was hanging out at other people's houses that were very loud because oh. I liked the, you know, and then I live and then I uh, married someone who is just, I mean, just even like opening a door, somehow he's going to make it loud. <laughs> he's <just a> very <laughs> loud person, all kinds of other, you know, issues, but, um, but he just put a glass on a table and it's going to sound like somebody broke a rock. But, you know, now that for the first time I'm living, no kids, it's just me and a dog. I, I like sound when I like it, but I, but I, I like the choice of being able to have just perfect peace and quiet, and no noise. It's fascinating. And I, I remember when my son left um, the house to go to the military. Also, I was like, wow, this is a whole different kind of silence. No one is fighting. This is weird. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's this healthy silence. And I think so many times we don't have the chance to really see that or appreciate it until sort of as you're reflecting, Stephanie, later on, right? That it's yes. after the fact that we then look and say, wow, so this is how it was. And here that I think maybe that's one of the markers of how we're making progress. Like, oh, look at that. This is different. And I like this. Yes. Well, and it's when we're living in stress, or at least I'll, I'll speak from my perspective. When I was living in this very stressful situation, because your, your body is your body, mind and spirit is trying to protect you. It's like you're constantly being chased by a bear and your adrenaline is always up and there's energy coursing through your system and you're never really able to sit and relax and think clearly. And so for me, it was truly breaking away. It was almost as if I was escaping. Mm. Of course, I didn't see it at the time. I just knew <laughs> I had to get out. I had to choose something different for myself. And I didn't know what it was going to be. But I knew that I would be okay no matter what it was going to be. You know what I, I get asked this, you know, different times, the different awarenesses I've had where I've been really sometimes in denial and sometimes um, just didn't know yet. I just did not have enough of the puzzle pieces together to know what was really going on. But I knew that I felt horrible. I knew that I was depressed. I knew that what was going on was unhealthy, but I didn't have enough information to get to the root cause of what that was about. 
So I think there's two different things. There's the full-on denial of it, and then there's the you just know when you know. So I've found it interesting with some um, of my friends, which of course I think 95% of them are in are in counsel are counselors. Um, they've said about a certain situation. Well, when when did you know? Because they realize it wasn't denial about this particular thing. So for you, as I'm listening to you, you know, talk about this and with the way your story is, two questions. One is when did you know? And then also the cover of your book is absolutely beautiful. So there has to be some significance to the, the I think they're butterflies. So I've got two, two, one, two, uh, a two-parter for you there. <laughs> ah, so when did I know? So I would have denied that I was in denial. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Right. That was perfect. Yes. <laughs> There's an incredible totally amount of denial living around alcoholism because the person you used to be able to have a couple of drinks with or a couple of glasses of wine can no longer ha handle their alcohol. And they're denying that they have an issue and you're denying they have an issue and you're denying there's an issue and that there's anything wrong with them or you. And it's like we put a big box around our head and or walk around with a paper bag over it with eye holes. So when did I know? It was really with number one, it was really 9-11 and okay. talking with a lot of people and hearing the stories and reading about it and looking at the wreckage every day for months. It was as if spirit was giving me a download that just life is too short. Mm. And I did need to do a couple of months of planning of opening up a, a checking account. I, like I said, I started going to Al-Anon. And so it wasn't that one day I knew and the next day I was out. It was a process of, I would say, four months of making sure that I was going to be okay and I had some things set up for myself because everything was joint at that point and taking care of paperwork and whatnot. So really, when did I know was 9-11? But then I took some time. Okay. The cover of my book. So there is something called the Hope Tree, which is a sculpture. And they did research about symbolism of hope in different religions and philosophies and countries. And blue and the butterfly are two of the symbols of hope. Mm. Oh, I so love that's where that. they come from. As much as I knew I did about your work and what you've done, I did not know that. That is fabulous. Mm. So we interrupted your story. What about number two and the gifts from number two? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Like I said, we'll, we never know where our conversations are going to go. It's all perfect. Exactly. <laughs> right. So number two. So our divorce, the divorce from number one was final in May. And I said, I'm taking a year off to just clear my head. And I did. And a year later, I met number two at a family wedding. We share first cousins, no blood relation, but my father's sister married his father's brother. We'd never met before. 
but he, he and his sisters were there at the wedding. We met, there was a, a connection. And what's very interesting is, is this is law of attraction. I said, I am not going to marry another alcoholic. Mm. And his drinking was under control the first five years we were together. And he lost his, and we, we'd go out to Napa. We bought the house that actually I'm moving out of tomorrow. Yay. Um, yes. And closing on Friday. So the timing of all this is perfect. We bought this house. We were building a great life, working, both working on wall street, went on vacations, traveled organic vegetable garden, and he lost his job. And I originally blamed his losing his job on his drinking. When I looked back a little further, he had actually started drinking much more heavily before that. Went through some health challenges. And this was the man, he was the love of my life. We were going to grow old together. And as we do with our loved ones, we often put our own self to the side to take care of someone who is sick. And I did everything within my power to build a cocoon around him so that he would not want to drink. My good codependent self stepped right in. (laughs) And he went to detox. He went to one rehab. He went to some IOP. Um, he, he held about four months of sobriety. And during that time, it's like, I saw the man I had fallen in love with. And with him, I was able to separate the person from the disease, which I had not done with number one. Mm. When he went to rehab, they, the facility had a family education program and it was right after hurricane Sandy. So I was here in this house by myself or Superstorm Sandy, um, had no power for a week and then went out to Pennsylvania to the facility. And the first two days were just for the loved ones of the patients. And it was then that I learned that it was also about my recovery, which was a very foreign concept to me. We focus on the alcoholic. We don't think about ourselves. So what do you mean it's about my recovery too? (laughs) I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. Again, the denial. So like I said, he had his about four months of sobriety and I started to, to, to see the person that I had lost over the last couple of prior years. And then he just continued with his spiral and it got to the point where he wasn't sober any one day and was pretty much drunk by noon every day. I never knew what I was walking into. I would come be driving home from Wall Street, turn onto our street and get a knot in the pit of my stomach because I never knew if Allison Chains was going to be blasted so loud from the stereo speakers I could hear it out on the street. Right. It was just it was chaos. And again, it was the noise, which I actually just put that together just now. It's interesting. Ooh, excellent. Yes. <laughs> Another little this piece is why we puzzle. love these talks, right? Right. <laughs> and it was one day that I was I was riding home on the boat because I used to commute uh, via boat to Wall Street. 
And I had already been in the hospital having a second heart attack scare, which found out was a hiatal hernia. But this is what the stress does to us. And it manifests as, as disease and illness within our bodies. And I just got this message of, I can't do this anymore. And it was right after that, I just said to him, you know what? I love you, but I can't do this. And I walked away from number one with almost nothing. And I rebuilt everything. And I, I can't lose this house to your drinking and driving and not being able to hold it together. And he understood. And I, however, I still held out hope that he would work his program. And then it just, it came to a point where I saw him going through the motions, but I was putting almost more effort into it than he was. And right. so now when I look at any situation, I say, if I'm doing more for them than they are for themselves, or if I'm doing more for them than I am for myself, those are two huge barometers for me to look at what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which interestingly is also true, by the way, in psychotherapy, if you're the provider and you're working harder than the client, you need to have a conversation. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> right? it's, not, it's not your work. It's the person's work. And that I, we can't I, take it on. Even if it doesn't matter, spouse, provider, friend, we can't take on other people's stuff. Like that's their stuff. Yeah, I have a client right now I'm I'm in the middle of that with. Yeah, it's so universal. And then it's interesting because I think so often taking on somebody else's stuff just provides this fabulous distraction from looking at oh, our own yeah. stuff. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You you That's mentioned clients, so tell our listeners what you what you mean by that. What what do you do now? I call myself a personal archaeologist, and it's a little bit of coaching, it's energy work, it's, I work with people who have typically already been to 12-step and or therapy, feel, still feel stuck, and I, and I work with them to identify the energy that they're holding within based on the old stories and help them to clear it. Can, so I guess, go ahead. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Like what that means? Yeah. So I did a, a session with somebody the other day who's been feeling a lot of pain in her right shoulder. She had a situation where someone she was co-leading um, a retreat with went off and started calling it her own. There was some betrayal. And so we started talking about how betrayal has happened in her life. Again, going to those patterns and we continued to work backwards and it goes back to old family stuff. And I am a Reiki master. And so with the energy work, we then focused on, clearing some of that energy while she's focusing on this pain in her shoulder. And it's interesting because I also get images and I, I actually saw a, a dagger being pulled out of her shoulder and this wound healing from the inside out. 
um, mm-hmm. she had some takeaways to do some journaling and and to really dig into some of the the real you know deeper aspects of where this comes from. Then I also have them work on forgiveness because forgiveness isn't for the other person, it's for us. Mm-hmm. Also to forgive ourselves for the things we've carried and to to let go of some of that energy. And we do a lot of that. Um, I like writing letters that will never be sent because it gets all those thoughts out of our head. And again, that energy that we hold within, because if we feel like we haven't been able to talk about something, going back to those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s and suck it up, <laughs> if, we can't, if we can't express ourselves, all of that is held within. And so the stomach aches and the sore throats and the bloody noses and the pain in the shoulder, you know, that it manifests through aches and pains in, in many, many ways. So I, I help people to uncover where it comes from. I love that because that with a really great therapist and, you know, any kind of movement, even just really gentle um, exercise is a, you know, a great path towards healing, you know? You know, you also, and maybe you'll talk a little bit about the horses, Kristen, but I really think that what we're talking about is this idea that Stephanie mentioned earlier of mind, body, spirit, and how do we bring some healing and some recovery, some awareness and some ownership and accountability for uh, healing and change in mind, body, and spirit. And I love the juxtaposition of what we think about as traditional psychotherapy, health and mental health uh, avenues combined with these other avenues, because it's not just the one thing that we have such a plethora of different options and pulling them all together makes an enormous difference. Kristen, you have a horse, right? Yes, I have a horse. And while you were saying that, I was thinking about, um, I, you know, I obviously traditional counseling is a great love of mine and so much respect. And there's never any place that I feel more comfortable than on the couch or in the chair in a counseling office. But I also, you know, work with a spiritual healer that does Reiki and many other things. And, um, one time when I was getting off of her table, I looked at her and I said, you know, everything that you just said, there was a piece of me that was thinking she could be severely mentally ill with her. I mean, that could be the reality here. (laughs) She started laughing hysterically and she goes, because that's how we can talk with each other. And, And then she said, yes, but how do you feel? And I said, I feel so good that I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I say that too with horses because I had somebody um, that it doesn't matter, but they were really poo-pooing. Oh, horses don't do anything. And I was like, I'm sorry that you can't see that, but let me tell you, they really, really do. <laughs> oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. And, and this is where 
you know, Kristen and Christina, to your points of it isn't just the one thing. There are many different ways to heal and recover. And I loved my therapist. I went to different ones off and on through the years as I was dealing with different stuff. I found, though, that the energy work is just such a nice addition to Absolutely. Yeah. Therapy and and talking because we do need to talk. We do need to voice. I also see, and I, and I love Alan on, I love 12 step. However, there's, there are some that they latch onto that, but they continue to tell the same story over and over and over. And, you know, who would we be without our stories? And that's part of this work that I do as well. It's, it's letting go of the labels. So I can call myself, you know, a, a sexual abuse survivor and the fourth generation of women in my family growing up around alcoholics and twice divorced and next wall street and blah, blah, blah. But those are all things in the past. So how about, you know, focusing on today and where I want to go forward and not being so attached to those old labels. And that's yeah, part of the I mean, healing as well. I think too, when you're someone that talks about these things and writes a book about these things, you have to, like I've, I've had people, um, not, it's been a long time, but some people get upset and say, well, you talk about these things, you know, that happened in your past. And I say, yes, because that's my career. I choose mm-hmm. to do a podcast <laughs> yeah. about mental health. And part of what I'm doing, talking about these things is not to keep me rooted in my past. It's to help other people get out of being rooted in theirs. So there's a difference. Yes. I'm not rooted there. I'm just talking about things that happened. I don't live in those spaces. I don't live in that pain. Most of the time depends on new pain that comes in new awareness, Mm -hmm. but I like the, the difference of that is you can be someone that talks about those things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are still living there. It could be that you're doing it with a a purpose too. And that purpose might be to help someone else um, learn how to have their own voice, use their own voice and get out of being rooted there. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like we're paving a path for others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We try anyway, right? Right. Well, we try. Yes. (laughs) Well, and Stephanie, part of your goal is really, as I understand it, to sort of break the stigma of talking about alcohol and what it means to be an alcoholic, have an alcoholic family member or love an alcoholic and understanding that this is just one other aspect of human experience that allows for growth and recovery or not as people choose. Absolutely. And and this is where I go back to when half of the population has been affected by this, we're drowning in our silence. Yeah. Literally. That's a really good phrase. (laughs) I know I had to let that one sink in drowning in our silence. Yeah. Mm. And, and this is where we don't go shouting from the rooftop, but it's finding a place that is going to 
you know, and working with someone or people that are going to help us see that the other, what the other person is doing doesn't define us. And I think too, with society as society as it is today of, we are showing a fake image of perfection of ourselves and Lord knows anybody see any of our flaws and I didn't want anybody to know that I was married to an alcoholic either. I, I get it because we would get together with friends and then he would drink too much. And then I would take on the responsibility for him not being able to have a, a clear conversation. Mm-hmm. And so then you you start stopping getting together with people and it's very isolating. And then who can you talk to because your friends don't get it. And it's just this, it's almost like it's going to the inside of the spiral on the shell and your world gets smaller. And this is where, when we can talk about this and, you know, Yes, I've had to share some family secrets, but it's not about being a tell-all and breaking the old family rules if we don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. There's so many of us that are affected by this. It's giving a voice that others can begin doing the same for themselves and heal. Absolutely. Well, tell yeah. our listeners they need to work with you clearly and they need to read your book. So tell our <laughs> listeners where they can find the book and where they can find out more about you. So the book is on um, Indie Reads and Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And people can find me on my website, which is stephaniebmcauliffe.com. And I'm assuming that the spelling will be in the show notes. So, um, yeah, because <laughs> I think I've had about hundred different spellings of my last name. And from there, people, people can send me an email. Um, I do a free strategy session because not everybody is for everybody. And, um, it's, it's making sure that I feel I can help a person. They're ready and yeah, so everything's through my website. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you again, Christina, Dr. Christina Hallett, for bringing yet another amazing guest. <laughs> I know, absolutely. See, between the two of us, we know so many amazing people. And Stephanie, I really <laughs> appreciate your willingness to spend this time with us and to share your story and your information because I know that this is just going to be absolutely helpful and meaningful to so many of our listeners. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you both today. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning into our Be Awesome series with Dr. Christina Hallett on Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. 
and also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.